If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'd invite you to turn with me now to Nehemiah chapter 6 and Nehemiah chapter 7. We have some ground to cover today. Uh, we, uh, if you cannot tell, I have my voice back. So uh, some of you I told that to this morning, and you had a collective sigh going, oh no, how long will pastor preach today? Uh, this is the first week in the past couple weeks I've had my voice and could communicate clearly, loudly, where people can hear. And so uh, I am excited about that. So I was actually going to try to tackle the rest of Nehemiah 6, 7, 8, and 9 since I have my voice. However, I thought better of it and figured some of us had some plans this afternoon. Either way, I am happy that you are here, happy that you are with us. Uh, again, we are in Nehemiah chapter 6, chapter 7, moving along in our series that we've titled Rebuild. And we've come to a point of transition today. Uh, where we are going to see what happens when the great task, as Nehemiah called it, is completed. So today's title, sermon title, is Mission Accomplished. Or if you have children or grandchildren and they wake up every morning to watch Little Einsteins, you can also title this one Mission Completion. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I am talking about today, and you could probably sing the song as I am doing in my head currently. Now, having said that, I do want to ask you this question, though. Can you think back to a time when you completed a major task? Maybe it was uh, this week, maybe it was last month, uh, maybe it was just yesterday, maybe this morning you've already completed some sort of task or some sort of assignment. Now, I'm not talking about just things like making your bed and getting dressed while good and right and should be done on a daily basis. Uh, I'm talking bigger tasks. Um, some of you are looking at me like showering is a major task. No, that is a daily task as well. Please, for the sake of the sanity of the people around you, please make that a priority. I am thinking of something bigger, something larger, something where people depended upon you to get the project done. Otherwise, other projects would not be able to move forward. Maybe it was something for work. Maybe it was something you were doing for fun or for pleasure, or maybe it was something that was on that honeydew list that you promised to do months ago, and so you kept hearing about it and hearing about it and hearing about it until finally you accomplished it. Now, think of what that task is, and I want to ask you this follow-up question. Have you ever noticed that there's a common thread when it comes to completing a task? Have you noticed that in the midst of the task, once you finish it, there's always something else that needs to be done. Or better yet, maybe in the midst of your task, you start a task, you start a project, whatever it may be, maybe right in the middle of that task, you find that there are going to be more steps involved than you could ever ask or imagine. Well, this is where we find Nehemiah. You see, for Nehemiah, the great task of the wall had been completed, and therefore the Israelites had something to celebrate. But in the midst of that, Nehemiah being a great leader, being in tune with what God wanted to do, never wanted the people to lose sight of the reason why the work was being done in the first place. Because you see, Nehemiah, it wasn't simply about building a wall. It was about turning the hearts of the people 
back to God. So what we're going to see today in Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 15, is what it looks like when the mission is accomplished, but what it means when we say the mission was accomplished. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to begin reading today in Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 15. And if you're able, as you turn there, if you would, go ahead and stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now, this is the word of God according to the written words of Nehemiah, he says, beginning in verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Erah. And his son, Jehohanan, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had then been appointed, I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. For the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now, again, thanking you for the opportunity that we have to study your word. Father, I pray that in these next few moments together, as we worship you through the study of your word, Father, may you and you alone be glorified. Father, you are the reason why we gather. You are the reason why we are in this place. And so, Father, I pray that you would prepare our hearts and our minds for what it is that you have for us today. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your spoken word. Thank you for the encouragement, for the edification, for the challenge with which it brings. And again, God, we pray that you and you alone would be a glorified above all else. Jesus, again, we thank you for loving us. And we simply want to take a moment and say we love you. Now, Father, continue to be with us as we worship, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, here it is. If you've been following along in Nehemiah, we have come to that moment that everyone has been waiting for, including the Israelite nation. You see, the work on the wall is now complete through prayer, through patience, through perseverance. The Israelites, under Nehemiah's leadership, has now completed what was called the great task. <clears throat> And so Nehemiah 
being a great leader, realized that even though this task was completed, the work was far from over. Because you see, it wasn't simply about building a wall for Nehemiah. It was about turning the hearts of the people of God back to the heart of God. So Nehemiah wanted to take a moment for the people to understand that yes, the mission was accomplished, but there are reasons that the mission was accomplished. You see, that first reason that Nehemiah points us to is this. The mission was accomplished by the glory of God. Look with me again in verses 15. We see that so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. Now, let's pause there for a moment. Because here's what we see. We see that the work was started in August, and then it was finished by October. Now, if you're counting, as Nehemiah points out, this is 52 days. 52 days was all it took to complete the wall. Now, you're probably thinking, what's the big deal about that? Well, let's put it in perspective for a moment. You see, I don't know if you were paying attention to the news in 2017, but if you were and you knew at that time, there was a great deal of stress happening in Atlanta because in 2017, we witnessed the collapse of I-85. Now, I don't know if you've ever driven through Atlanta. I don't know why you would. However, you would quickly understand that if a part of I-85 is shut down, there are very few places you are getting to. In fact, I remember the day the collapse happened. You see, we were actually, um, I was at my, my second job at the time. I was working at a school, and we could see black smoke coming up from the field. And we thought to ourselves, wow, that's not good. And so we waited, we wondered, we went back to the teacher's break room, and we started to watch as helicopters circled the interstate, and then we watched a part of the interstate collapse. Now, the collapse uh, that happened was roughly 92 feet long, and that was all that needed to be repaired. Now, what happened after that was the most amazing thing that I've witnessed in modern technology, you see, because with all of the modern equipment, it took 43 days for 92 feet of flat interstate to be repaired. Now again, put that in perspective of Nehemiah's wall. 43 days, modern equipment to complete 92 feet of pavement. Nehemiah's wall first started with the temple according to Ezra chapter 6. The temple by itself was 90 feet high by 90 feet wide. The wall with which Nehemiah and this small band of Israelites worked on covered roughly two to two and a half miles. There was no modern technology. There was no modern communication. There was no quick crete or quick concrete, if you will. And they still did it in 52 days. How do you explain that? Well, it's simple. You see, if we pray, if we persevere, if we are faithful in serving God, then we should never underestimate what God can accomplish through us when he calls. 
You see, what Nehemiah and the Israelites did, they didn't do by their own hands. They did because of the glory of God. It was happening because God willed it to happen. You see, Nehemiah had a God-sized dream that could only be accomplished by the will of God for the purpose of God, for the glory of God. You see, that same faith, Those same prayers should be what we strive for here in our church at Southside Baptist Church. So the question I want to ask us today is really simple. It's what God-sized dreams are we praying for Southside? What God-sized dreams are we having for this place? What God-sized dreams are we being called to for the glory of God? Now, you get into verse 16, Nehemiah says that after the enemies perceived what had happened and perceived uh, how quick the Israelites did the work, it said that they then realized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. You see, Nehemiah knows that God has been leading this whole time. Nehemiah knows that they've accomplished what they've accomplished because God has been helping with the work all along. You see, it was God who has been at work on behalf of the people. And we see this throughout Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 8, we see that the good hand of God was upon Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 12, we see that God has put this task in the heart of Nehemiah to do the work. In chapter 2, verse 20, we see that Nehemiah says that God of heaven would make them prosper. Again, in chapter 4, verse 15, it was God who frustrated the plans of the enemies. Fast forward to chapter 4, verse 20, and Nehemiah tells the people that God would fight for them. You see, all of this work was accomplished by the will of God for the glory of God, and it is God alone who deserves the credit for what has happened. You see, the same is true for us today as a church. I want our church, I want Southside Baptist Church, I want our faith family to faithfully serve knowing that what we accomplish, we accomplish by the will of God for the glory of God and not by our own efforts or for our own personal glory. You see, when people see what is happening in our church, my prayer is that they would simply see what God is doing and nothing else. You see, the reality is this. Only God can do a mighty work. Only God can provide. Only God can sustain. It was only God through Jesus Christ who can change the hearts of sinners and redeem them. It is only God through Jesus Christ, by the will of God, that sinners come to a place where they declare victory in the grace that they have been given and learn to selflessly love one another. How else can this all be explained? For Nehemiah, it was simple. For us today, it should be simple. All of this can only be explained by the glory of God. 
Please don't ever lose sight of why we have what we have and why we are able to accomplish what we accomplish and why we are able to do what we do. It is because of the mission, purpose, will, and glory of God and nothing else. In verse 17 through 19, Nehemiah acknowledges that by the grace and glory of God, the wall has now been rebuilt. And so now it is time for Nehemiah to turn to the people, specifically to deal with the traitors that are in the camp. Here we see Tobiah mentioned again. Now keep in mind, we've already learned in multiple chapters that Tobiah is clearly an enemy of God. He was an Ammonite servant. He was an enemy to the Israelites. And he had been working against the wall the entire time and working against the well-being of the people. And so Nehemiah in this moment discovers that the nobles in Judah have been sending letters corresponding with Tobiah. In other words, they've been sending intelligence briefings in order to keep Tobiah informed of all that was happening. And then to make matters worse, in verse 18 and 19, we not only read that Tobiah was doing everything in his power to keep God's law from being enforced in Jerusalem, but we also learn that the nobles of Jerusalem are now speaking on behalf of Tobiah and his good deeds. We also learn from Nehemiah that Tobiah is connected to prominent Jews by marriage, and yet he is still doing everything he can to stop the work. And so now, Nehemiah, after building the wall for God's glory, must now turn his attention to the heart of the people in order to deal with sin within the camp. And you know, that is so true of our churches today. As a people, we have to guard our hearts. As a people, we have to sit down with the word of God. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to ask ourselves, are we for the will and glory of God or are we standing against it and in the way? You see, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. There is at no point in any one person's life where you will ever Stand in the way of the will of God. God's will is always going to be accomplished. God's will is always going to be done. Does it mean it's always going to be happy and fun and we're going to celebrate with gifts and balloons? No. There are times where the will of God can be very challenging. There are times where the will of God can call us to a season of sifting. There are times where the will of God calls us to something that seemingly cannot be done. But what we clearly see, according to Nehemiah chapter 6 and chapter 7, is that the will of God will always be accomplished. Again, for the glory of God. But then the second reason Nehemiah gives us is for our good. You see, God's mission was accomplished here, ultimately again for his glory, but then secondly, for our good. Look with me again in chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. We see that now when the wall had been built 
and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed. I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their homes. For the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. You see, then we get into chapter 7. You get to verse 5 all the way down to the end of chapter 7. And what we have from this point forward is a list of names. Now, many of us will read these lists of names and we will have no idea who they are. If you want to have some fun with someone, ask them to read the list of names starting in Nehemiah chapter uh, 7 verse 5 and watch them butcher Hebrew about as bad as anybody can do. I mean, it is a tough thing to learn. I remember sitting in an Old Testament class where our professor looked at us and he said, for extra credit, if you can come up to me and begin listing out accurately the Hebrew names listed in Nehemiah chapter 7, I'll give you a point for every name you said correctly. I'm not going to tell you how many I got right that day. It wasn't many. That's what you need to know. Okay? But what we do see here is we see a list of names to identify who the Jews really are. It was a list to identify the Israelite nation. You see, this genealogical list matters because in order for the people to be set apart as holy, they have to know who they are as people. You see, for us today, here's the question. Do we know who we are when we sit in this place? Do we know who we are in Christ? Have we taken the time to reflect on how God, through Jesus Christ, has set us apart for our good and ultimately for his glory? Do we see that? In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, listen to what Peter says of the believers in Christ. He says, but you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Ladies, think about your crowns yesterday. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. In other words, as believers in Christ, as followers of God, we have been chosen and called by God to be set apart. We belong to him and him alone. You see, it was Nehemiah who set up this charge. It was Nehemiah who gave the orders. It was Nehemiah who said, let us watch the gates. It was Nehemiah who said, let us set a time for when the gates could be open and when they could be shut. And all of this was a part of the plan that God had given to Nehemiah in order to establish who the Israelites were and to establish who could live in Jerusalem. In other words, what we see is an authenticated list of who the Israelites were. And the first step in that list was validating the identity of the true people of God so that Jerusalem could be purified and set apart. You see, that's the 
reality behind Nehemiah's wall. Nehemiah's wall was not meant to be a system of defense. Nehemiah's wall was not a wall that was meant to keep people out. Rather, Nehemiah's wall was meant to reveal the heart of God's people. Nehemiah's wall was to show the world who belonged to God. Nehemiah's wall was to reveal how we as believers are to be set apart. Now that doesn't mean that we are called to be better than others, but it does mean we are called to live by a different and a higher standard. And we, being people within the wall, are called to set a better example for others to follow. You see, this wall represented God reestablishing his covenant with his people. This was a setup mission. Nehemiah's wall was a setup to prepare the people for the new covenant that was coming as later prophesied by Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31. You see, for us today, In Christ, we now have new covenant with God. Because of Christ, because of his atoning work, because of his sacrifice on the cross, because of his blood, we can be reunited in the new covenant with God because of Jesus Christ. And then we get to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 through 16, a book we've already studied. And we read these words. We read that as believers today, as Christians, as those called by Christ, we have a great work that has been given to us by Christ. We too have been given a great task. And that task is simple. We as believers are called to build up the body of Christ. We are called to build up the body until everyone who is called attains the full stature of what it means to be in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have come to a time where as believers under the new covenant, by the grace of God, his wall still stands. And that wall calls us to holiness and it calls us to worship. But here's the beautiful part about the kingdom of God and the wall of God and the grace of God that can be found through Jesus Christ because of Christ the gates are wide open and so anyone can come to faith in Christ because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ so here's the question for us today as believers who are we inviting to join us in the kingdom of God you see God has already established his authority God has already established creation. 
God has already established the plan of redemption. God has already established the plan of salvation. The walls have been built. And now, because of his plan of salvation, his plan A, the victory that can be found in Jesus Christ, the gates are opened because grace abounds. And so now the question becomes, who are we inviting? You see, being a part of this church means that we're a part of the kingdom of God. Being a believer in Christ, being a Christian, being a follower of the way, whatever you want to call it, means that we have refuge in Christ. We have sanctuary that can be found in Christ. And so now, instead of being at war, we are on a rescue mission. And so who else are we inviting into the gates? You see, when Nehemiah said it, was a fin- it is finished, the task is done, he was speaking of the wall and the gates itself. But when you fast forward to the gospel and you see Jesus say, it is finished, all of a sudden the kingdom of God was open. The gates were opened because of the work of Christ. And here's the beauty of it. He did it for our good, but ultimately for God's glory. You see, God in his infinite wisdom. God in his plan all along, he has given us a new home. Now we're about to see Nehemiah and the Israelites begin to rebuild their homes, but because of the new covenant we have in Jesus Christ, we have a home that is built in the kingdom of God and it is built by the work of Jesus Christ. You see, the gates are opened and they've been opened for his glory, but ultimately, uh, excuse me, it has been built for his glory and also for our good. You see, through Jesus Christ and through his atoning work, we as believers can now say, mission accomplished. But there is still work to be done. You see, the gates are open and now the rescue mission is on. My prayer is that we would be a people who would call others to repentance, call others to forgiveness, call others to the grace that can be found in knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. My prayer is that we would be people who live and who call others to the work and the love that can be found in Jesus Christ. You see, our great task is now upon upon us. And so the question is this, who will join us in the work of the kingdom and who will enter into his gates with us. That is the next mission. And it is the mission that God through Christ has given us today. Let's pray to that end.